So, Chris, thank you for accepting my invitation and welcome to the CEO and uh, podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start with the basics, who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name is Chris Ruby. I am the founder of Ruby Media Group. I do public relations, content marketing, social media, and personal branding services for entrepreneurs, Fortune 500 companies, SaaS startups, and tons of other companies. Awesome. What is it like to be a CEO of a media group? What's your day like? I, I said the other day, actually, what it's like now is very different than what it used to be like. The past year in marketing alone was equivalent to 10 years in any other industry because of all of the changes with the blockchain and crypto and NFT and metaverse marketing. So every day I feel like there's the actual work that you have to do in terms of pitching clients and staying on top of everything you're doing and, and monitoring journalists and queries as they come in. But then there's also the learning that you have to do to learn this entirely new ecosystem and figure out how are clients going to fit into that ecosystem and what Web3 marketing strategies can you create? Sounds very busy. What that um, intends is you follow the trends and you have to know what's going on and you have to be on top of, of everything. But how easy is that to feel that new knowledge to your clients so they can adapt? Getting people to understand exactly what all of this means outside of it being a buzzword is really important. When I first started my company in 2009, we started Ruby Media Group to really help bridge the gap and get companies into Web 2.0. And so now it's fascinating because we're kind of in a similar position again, which is to get companies into Web 3.0 and help bridge that gap. And part of that challenge is, is getting people when we first started, it was about Facebook and social media and helping them understand that wave and why they needed to be doing this. Now, here we are again, here's why you need a crypto domain, or here's why you need to secure your personal brand, or here's why you need to timestamp your content on blockchain. And you're getting people to understand or buy into a vision that could be 10 years from now. They're not going to see all of the benefits from that today. And I think that's the challenging part. But if you're working with someone who's been through these, these cycles before, then they can help hold that vision and share that vision with the people that they are helping create it for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, if I'm a new client of yours, what's the process? How do we start? Where do we start for, from? Sure. So the first step is to do a discovery, a paid discovery in our first month together, where we really look at what are your business goals and objectives from a PR perspective? What are the KPIs, the key performance indicators? How are we going to be measuring success? I always ask clients, what does success look like to you? And what is PR nirvana to you? You can't measure something that you're not sure what you're measuring for and what metrics you're using. One of the things that's really important is to get people aligned and on the same page with that from the very beginning. I just actually did an interview in Starter Story about this very topic. We can share it with other entrepreneurs who may be watching this because I really went into depth about a lot of different metrics that you can use for that. Cool. Since you mentioned KPIs, what do you think are the most important KPIs an entrepreneur or a business should follow when it comes to social media and PR? When it comes to PR, in terms of KPIs, you should be looking at things like an increase in traffic, increase in brand lift, increase in organic mentions, really benchmarking where you're at when you start versus six months into a campaign versus even a year down the line. When it comes to SEO, you want to be looking at search intent. It's not just ranking 
for any word. Sometimes I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make is that they're excited that they got a client's page to rank for a, a phrase that like, great, you rank for something, but do you even want to offer that service? Is that even something like you, traffic that is not directly tied to something you actually want to be doing or that you no longer do can become more of a hassle in the long run. So you want to, for example, and I always use this example, if my website ranks for Instagram likes or Instagram followers or fake Instagram followers, because I, I did an interview on Instagram scammers and fraud. So I, we do rank for that, but it's not necessarily something like someone coming to me when they say, how do I buy followers? I'm not going to help you with that. It's not something that I endorse in any way. So just because I rank for it doesn't mean it's something that I can therefore do for you. People need to understand like is ranking in itself is not enough. What is the intent behind that search? Or people reach out all the time because of that blog post and say, can you help me get verified? No, I can't help you get verified. But so why do I get those requests? I get those requests because of a post that I wrote maybe two years ago at this point. And this is where I think the SEO agency or PR firm is sometimes not in alignment with the client because they're saying, well, we've got you to rank. But if they're not aligned with sales and understanding that, well, I don't want to rank for that because that's not something I do. That's where I think having a robust content strategy comes into play here. And the best way to do that is to actually speak to the people who are selling day in and day out and understand what are the questions people are actually asking about what it is that you do. And also there's a difference between commercial intent and, and where people are at in the, the buyer cycle and the journey and people who just want information. For example, if we look at the SERP for what is PR, what is public relations and why is it important? I could go after that, but that's not the same thing as someone who is asking, what is the price of PR? How do I evaluate if a PR firm is doing what they should be doing? That is very much further along or someone who- It shows who, intent, right? Yes, exactly. It shows intent. Reevaluating that intent is really important too. I think as uh, search engines, they're getting more clever as we speak. And I know Google now ranks uh, sites according to the context because they're able to, to read articles, to see images. I know strategies that used to work, they don't work right now on the SEO th uh, part. What's the strategy you follow to rank on a keyword you, you, you want to rank for? The first thing that you can do or that anyone can do is to start by answering questions. People always have content on their site that's decaying. And my favorite thing to do is to go through that and I call it gutting that content. Look at that content and look in the look at the SERP for that piece of content today and what are the questions that are actually appearing in the featured snippets around that and literally go through and answer those questions. Don't even look at the other answers that people are giving, but take those questions, put them in a Word document or a Google Doc and, and spend time answering them and then update your content with that. And if you're using something like blockchain technology to timestamp your content, Google is going to see the entire chain of when you first published that piece of content to when you updated that content and the exact changes that you've made to it. And I think that timestamping in general, it's important for Google, but it's also important for your audience. It builds trust and transparency with your clients, patients, customers, that they can see this is someone who's taking their content seriously. They have an actual content cadence that they are dedicated and devoted to actually updating at least hopefully several times a year. I think in the future, the question is going to be, if you're looking at someone who doesn't 
timestamp their content to the blockchain versus someone who does, who are you going to trust more? What are you hiding if you refuse to timestamp your content? Why don't you want people to see those changes? And I think that those of us who get it right now, who are so in it, we can clearly see it. We can see that vision 10 years out, but we need to bring other people along with us to see that vision and sell that vision so that they can get that too. And I think blockchain technology and SEO is a very scary place for people right now who don't understand the, the value or the benefit or the utility of it. But it's important because it's different than some of the other things that we hear about when you look at NFTs or floor prices or buying and flipping or selling or all of those things. Timestamping content is actually none of that. It's something that can work in the background of your site where it's sort of set it and forget it. And then people can see a, a, on a public ledger all of the changes that you've made to what you're doing. And I think for content creators in general, that's so important with rampant IP theft and with Web3 in, in general. My vision is that content creators are really awarded more so for, for the, what they contribute on someone else's site to a piece of content where you can see an actual trail of that content from start to finish. I don't think we're there right now, but I think that people are working on it. You, you hit it right in, in the head. I mean, you have so many, so many topics. Uh, in thus, you know, in uh, in less than 30 seconds, and of course, blockchain technology. Most people, when they see blockchain as a buzzword, their minds go to to the Bitcoin. But blockchain is much more than that. It's a technology that can be used to provide trust, and uh, trust is something that's missing from online and from the web right now because of all this misinformation and all this false news and. And people in the near future will engage that those tools. Uh, what, what's your take on that? One of the challenges when talking about selling something like this or getting buy-in, and I've seen this in the, the SaaS community as well when I talk about this, the answer and the pushback I get is, well, that's good for you because you're in news. You're a pundit and you're on air. So if you want to fight this uh, issue of the fake news in the media, then blockchain makes sense for you. My answer is no, blockchain makes sense for you too. Right? Blockchain makes sense for every business owner who wants to show a public ledger of trust and transparency with their audience. So yes, there's multiple use cases of this technology. It can be helpful for someone in the news and fighting fake news and media, which I think more publications should really be adopting this so that we can see what changes are made to an article, especially as it decays over time and they're updating it. But Two, I think that we're going to get to a point where this is going to become the standard and the norm. And once search engines integrate this and people are rewarded for, and Sebastian, um, the, the founder of another company in this space, it's called WordProof, he I talked to him about this recently as well, where once search engines integrate with this, then people are going to understand. Then they're going to say, wait a second, maybe this could impact rankings, but we're not there yet. We could be many years out. We have a lot of clients in that field as well, as we're building this kind of technology. The problem is that the people may adapt, but for the wrong reasons. As you mentioned, they will adapt when the rankings will be the result of what they do. But they need to understand the actual power and the actual uh, use of uh, blockchain and time stamping, that it's about trust and it's about not... If, if you put something online, you should think about it twice. And once it's, on, it's, on, it's online, it's on. 
Well, I have to say that's one of the things that I really uh, like about this technology, which is that people feel so free to just say whatever it is that they want without any repercussions these days of defamation and libel. And when you put one of these blockchain plugins on your site and integrate with that, you are going to think twice about what you write because it you can't get that off, right? Once something's on chain, it's very difficult to remove that. You can't. So You can't, really. Yeah, you can't. So the point is, it makes people think like restraint of print and tongue, think more before you just type. And it, it almost is a total paradigm shift when you're writing anything, especially when you uh, integrated this on your own personal or corporate site, every single change people can see. So you're going to be less likely to just throw something up there. Exactly. One other thing you mentioned before is about the creators and the creator economy that's booming right now. And so far, the creators are the producers. They are the people who provide the value. The, the money side, the monetization side, goes to the platforms that take that value and they provide the channels and force the distribution. Do you see that changing soon? When we talk about the world of decentralized social media, it's, it's, a, it's a loaded topic. A lot of these companies right now that are saying they're all for decentralization aren't actually decentralized in any way. They're still using things like Discord, which I requested my data for, and they can access every message I've ever sent on there. there there's tons of privacy issues with that, almost as much as uh, Facebook. But the problem is, is that so much of this is just a branding exercise and that people have decided there are certain tech companies that are evil and there are ones that aren't. But really, there, there's no actual reporting going on comparing the TOS of all of these things. And some of these have been considered, oh, well, this is a great one. We like it. Okay, well, why? Everyone in the crypto world, why have you held Discord as this amazing thing? when you're actually sending people to something that is really, I don't think so much better for their privacy than, than many of these other apps. I mean, it's not like they're doing Discord, they're not taking a Discord channel framework and putting it on something like Signal. That to me would make more sense. But mm -hmm. so I, I think that creators in general have to be very careful. It's very easy to amass a following very quickly right now and lead people into one direction or another but it's not so easy to do the actual hard work and reporting behind that and do your due diligence before you become responsible for that community and the group of people that you have led and you have told to do something. If you're not actually really checking out what it is you're telling them to do, for example, if you're saying, we believe in decentralization, but a company the other day, now they've integrated with Google logins. And in order to get in, you have to put in your seed phrase. Well, that is a problem. And people are up in arms about the fact that you have to use your seed phrase as a login because it's very easy to put the wrong seed phrase in or to put your seed phrase for a different wallet. And then what? Have you just compromised all of your accounts and your security? These are the issues for creators, but the larger issue for creators, actually. Everyone likes to talk about big tech. And I mean, I've talked about it for 15 years. The larger issue I have is not tech. It is the clients actually that hire the content creators and that basically say, we're paying you for this one-time fee to write this content or to do this content marketing for us, but we now own all copyrights for perpetuity to what you're writing. And in my opinion, that is what needs to change going into Web3. Everyone in Web3 who's saying that this is some revolution and it's so different, it's different for artists, but it's not different for you if you're not changing anything. You need to be part of the solution to say, wait a second. Why is it that artists are getting royalties, but I'm not as a writer, right? That makes no logical sense. 
So I'm focused on trying to change that for writers and for freelancers and content marketers to get them to see the value that, you know what, when you write something, you're still using an old model in a new world. So let's come up with some solutions for that. But still, it's, it's early days. The whole ecosystem has to adapt because maybe uh, the writer or the creator uh, has the, the knowledge and the tooling to, to do so, but the other side has to adapt as well. So that, that's why there's the tech platforms, as you say, but then there's also the actual contracts in terms of the person who's hiring you to do it. And so much of the national conversation is around, let's just focus on the tech platforms and they're so terrible and they steal our data. But very few conversations say, wait a second, let's focus on you and how you're running your business and the fact that you have a choice. You have a choice. You could ask for royalties. You could choose to not hand over your copyright of something you're creating where someone else can monetize off of it or turn it into a book. You have that choice as the creator. But the problem is that narrative, we don't tell creators there is a choice. They're stuck in thinking that there's only one way. And I think that needs to change. Mm -hmm. I agree totally with that, what you're saying. And I see that all those years, the power has not been on the creative side. And I see a shift. Something is moving over there. And with the creator economy booming, maybe it's the time that this change is starting to happening. Why do you think creator economy is booming right now? What happened? The pandemic happened. And I think over the past two years, more people are working from home. More people have resigned from their jobs. More people are realizing that, wait a second, I don't want to work for someone else. I want to work for myself. I want to create and, and contribute to the economy and how I see fit on my time and my terms. I think that is the biggest change that we've seen. And people are realizing things like office space or these very expensive line items may not have been so important. I mean, I always share with people, I had a, an office on Wall Street, a few, there were two different ones. The first one was on the 40th floor, which was beautiful overlooking the water, but no one ever came, right? So it was this fancy office. And when you think about like, that was, that was very, uh, that was a lot. And then there was another one that I also had on Wall Street. After that, the point is that you spend all this money, you think that clients are going to come in, they're going to see it, but clients care about you going to their office. They care. So the things is the world of work has changed. And, you know, to be able to take that money and invest, reinvest that in paid communities, which I think is so important because that can fuel you as a creator in a virtual world and to pull that from some paid advertising and to also reinvest in SaaS tools for our, for my agency, for Ruby Media Group, that's our highest line item software. Our MarTech stack is, you know, unprecedented. And that's something, I think, an investment that's truly worthwhile. Mm -hmm. As Bill Gates said, software will eat the world. And I think it's doing it as we speak. And it makes sense because we're moving into a digital world, more digital world, more than it is today. So software plays a major role there. On the creator side, let's say I'm a creator and I want to start utilizing the social tools for me to, in order to build a business out of what I do. How do I start? I think the first way to start is to think about the, the, the hub and spoke model in terms of content for your site and then focus on what channels you want to be on. Too many people do it wrong and in reverse where they just look at the platforms, but they're not sending people to a central place that they own. So our site is both on WordPress. Ideally, we, we're still sending traffic back to WordPress. It's not the other way around where we're relying on Facebook if we lose access so to Facebook. So it's about owning your audience, right? Of course. Yes, it always has been. 
at least it's something that we have intricately understood and tried to share with clients. The notion that should we look at TikTok or Facebook or Twitter? Sure, you can look at all of them depending on where your audience is. But before you do any of that, figure out what you own and what you can do with that content if you lose access to everything. I always say the biggest test of a brand and brand longevity is if you were deleted off of every platform today and you had to start all over again tomorrow, what would you be known for? And who would follow you again instantly? That's the true litmus test of a, of a brand that has staying power. Mm -hmm. And that's about broad brand awareness and the brand value, right? I remember the day Jennifer Aniston joined Instagram and she had, I mean, 1 million followers in about an hour. That's exactly a brand that came into a new platform and utilized that brand immediately. So the same thing should brands do, right? Yes. That's a tough thing because uh, I see a lot of brands and in the creator community, influencers and creators having those uh, huge followings in the social media platforms, but they don't actually own that audience and they don't fuel the traffic to a page, for example, a lead magnet where they can take an email and then they have some touch point with that audience. How do you convince businesses and individuals to take that route? Well, this is a good question. And it's also one of the, the biggest challenges we saw with Clubhouse. So for Clubhouse, I one of the top political clubs on there at one point where I had over, you know, 14 or 15,000 followers, but there was no easy way unless you were putting in your profile. What you're saying is something I, I didn't do what you're saying is I had to go back and rebuild that all over again from Twitter spaces. But oddly enough, people moved over there. As soon as I, I updated my profile to saying I've moved to Twitter spaces, I, I think what's interesting for creators is realizing actually you do have fans and you do have people that really do listen to what you have to say and that like your voice matters. If you stop talking, you, there is this, this gap in the conversation and there are people that rely on you and depend on you for their news and to help form their opinion on public policy and things that are going on on a national level. And that's one of the things that my hope for creators is that they see the value in themselves and that it's not just about, are you on Clubhouse or are you on Twitter spaces? What it's about is, are you speaking at all, right? That when you stop speaking, what is the world missing from that when you stop sharing what it is that you have to say? And I think in the cancel culture economy that we now live in, it's so easy, especially for people like myself who are providing commentary on some of the, the most controversial topics in, in the world. It's so easy to be bombarded with this just spew of hatred that comes at you every time you speak and to think, you know what, wait a second. That, why do I want to put myself through this? It'd be much easier to just delete all of these accounts. This, it, this notion of momentum is important for creators. And if you fall down, get back up, but get back up like when it works for you. The point is that people need what you have to say. How do you deal with that though? I mean, because you expose yourself and you expose your opinions uh, quite often. It's very uh, hard. How do you do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, how do you? Uh, so sometimes, how do I? That's a really a, a good question. One that I could probably do an entire segment or, or show with you on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard. You need to find a practice that works for you when you're not online where you can decompress and figure out, like, how do you get back to your core and your center and realize that all of these things that are being, you know, said to you are, are opinions. Um, there was a time when I, I started in this Bravo reality TV show and, you know, we, I filmed that for a year and then that was on for, I believe, 
two months when it aired in, in primetime TV. And no one can prepare you, even having a TV career before that and after that, no one can prepare you for what it looks like to have so many people on Twitter coming at you every time that show is on. And I remember in between oh. when the show would be on, feeling like I was like sitting in my apartment and like, oh God, like the anxiety of like what's gonna happen next. But then I'd like to say it gets easier. I don't know that it ever does. You don't you know. use to it, right? I'm not sure. I mean, last night I posted something. I just didn't look at my phone afterwards when I the hatred was coming and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do something else. And I was okay with it. Because I think for me, The more you feel like you're speaking your truth and you're saying something for the right reasons, it becomes really hard to sway that. You can say whatever you want, but I know that I'm saying and speaking my truth. And I think that's important for creators to understand. The people that go on air every night, like they take this day in and day out. They don't stop doing their show because someone was mean to them. And I think that's a hard lesson that many of us have to learn when, or at least creators have to learn when they get started in this space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because trolling online is easy now. Uh, you can hide behind your keyboard and you can say anything you like. Uh, and you hear people, but uh, some people don't care. But you have to have a thick skin and move on uh, and ignore all this uh, well, noise. Yes and no. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back on that and say this is where blockchain comes into the picture. Mm -hmm. So the, it, when I'm talking to someone who's anonymous and I'm not, right, it, that conversation already is not on an equal playing ground. It's broken, yeah. And I have an issue with that because it means that that anonymous person can basically say whatever they, they want and there's no repercussions for them. But what I'm here to say is actually there is. The more you understand libel and defamation and the more creators start to realize, wait a second, they're using my real name, my business name, my corporate trademark. Just because you think you're, you think you're anonymous, I'm going to say think, right? Like there are ways to find out actually who you are. So The fact of the matter is, is that people need to think more about this. And this is one of the true tragedies and in, in where we're at today as a society, because you have more people who are resigning from their jobs, starting their own businesses. But at the same time, you have an increase in things like Twitter spaces. And last night there was a room on the politics of Bitcoin with over a thousand people in it. So one thing that is said in that room can actually really, if you're going after someone with their name, and that name is attached to their profile and their business, that can have a devastating impact on their online sure, reputation. Sure. And people need to realize that. And I also say anything you're writing to people in DMs that you think are so private on Twitter or elsewhere, it's not. Preservation requests exist. People can find this. We're going to start to see more of a crackdown on tech. And by the crackdown, I don't just mean on a national scale. I think more creators are going to realize the power that they have in terms of the law. And I hope that the law will change to, to protect people more in this area. One thing I will say about this in terms of blockchain technology and women and decentralized social media is that they have to be careful because what they don't realize is that everything you're doing in a decentralized social media platform, every person you follow, everyone you unfollow, every move you make is actually there in a public ledger. So for example, if you, you know, are the, the victim of someone who's stalking you or harassment or cyberbullying, that puts you at risk. Right now on Facebook, it's actually harder for someone to see that you have more control over your privacy settings, not your actual privacy, but you have more control oh. of the settings, mm -hmm. I will say, not your privacy. With blockchain, you have none. 
what blockchain, the goal is that this is out there for everyone to see out in the open. And I just think women have to be a little bit careful of what that means. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. People believe that uh, the blockchain and the, the decentralization is uh, more of a private place to be. But as you mentioned, this is a, a public record of every move you make. And once your identity is attached to this uh, wallet address or to this blockchain address, everything comes into light and it's there forever. And yes. that forever, it's something people need to, to realize. I don't think they realize that because we're at this, the, the phase of the hype around all of this and why this is so great. And I think that it's all had this great PR campaign around it, but we're not talking about the issues that exist. And as you said, it's there forever. So why, why could that be problematic? If you decide at some point you want to get off social media and delete all these accounts, well, everything that you've done to your point is still going to be there forever. If I delete my Facebook account right now, sure, maybe they'll have my, I guess I'll have my data for as long as they have it for, but I, I have more control over who's over at least seeing myself, who I followed, who I've unfollowed. I'm not necessarily showing that to everyone else. And so I think blockchain is, is going to be weaponized. Do, do you see a future where everything is on the chain and interaction online? I hope that's not the future. I think that people should have a choice. I think people ideally, that, that may be the future. But I think that some people are going to go to one extreme with blockchain and then may pull back a little bit and say, wait a second, actually, I thought social media was so bad and I thought Mark Zuckerberg was the worst. But now, actually, maybe I'm going to go back. We need to give people, we're in a weird time right now where they need to decide for themselves. Again, decentralization, all of these things are buzzwords that people don't necessarily understand. They don't understand. I, there's one site in particular I can think of where... The, it's a perfect example. If you lose your seed phrase to that site, you, there's no reset password. That node, even if they, even if they delete it from front facing where other people can't see it, then it still exists on the back end. And I think that's a scary part of all of this. For creators who like the ability to delete things and have it actually be gone, or if you have lost your password, we are so used to saying to someone or to support, help me with my account. That largely doesn't exist in this new ecosystem. Where's the PSA around that? I don't think people realize it until it's too late. That's very true. And the thing with uh, blockchain is that people do make mistakes. And if the, those mistakes are there forever, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem and it's also going to be a legal problem. Because it, let's say, for example, you write something about me and it's considered liable or defamation. What you could do is quickly delete it. But if your site is attached to blockchain, it becomes very hard to delete it. And now you have a, a larger legal problem on your hands because you put something about someone else into the chain that cannot be removed. And so that becomes forever. Something that you that could have been solved now basically is going to drag on. And so you're taking on a tremendous amount of liability with what you write that goes into the blockchain. That's why I always say, and I'm happy to write anything that is corporate or reporting or around the things that I do for a living. But the people that think it's a great idea to write personal blogs on blockchain, I, I, I don't know what to say about that. Let me put this on chain and then the story, like it's gonna, it's gonna be like some thriller movie in a few years from now, once people realize what this means.
<laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine sometimes you, we look at old diaries and we see <laughs> what I was thinking about when I was writing that. Imagine that being publicly on a chain forever and for everyone to see. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like a real nightmare. <laughs> Let's talk about another buzzword, NFTs. We've seen going from an unknown world to anyone is talking about NFTs. I mean, Paris Hilton was in the show the other day uh, giving NFTs uh, to the crowd there and everyone is joining the NFT thing. How much of a bubble is that? I'm mixed on this. Yes, I think it, it can be a bubble and I sort of, you know, equate it with Beanie Babies and everything else. I still have my collection, <laughs> probably my mom's attic and all the Barbie dolls too. And, and I love collecting all of those things. And I remember at the, at the height of the market where everything was at. But for me, this is where I sort of differ from the market, where even if I had the, the, the money it takes to buy into the Board 8 Yacht Club or all of these things, I'm, it, it's really about how you value money and where you put those dollars. And some people say, well, what do you mean? It's the greatest investment you could ever make in your business. Okay. I get that. But I'd also like, rather Is it really? I, the people that are hardcore that really believe NFTs are dogma in the world. That's what they think. Um, I think that there is a, a high floor place to get into all of this. And so the people that are buying and selling every day, you need a lot of resources to play in this space. And I think it can become quickly dangerous especially for any entrepreneur or for the audience here who are creators, it's important that you're not getting sucked into this cycle of fear of missing out. One of the things that, that, that I've reported on, at least with Instagram and young girls, is why it was detrimental to their health, why it led to increasing levels of depression, to constantly be comparing themselves to other girls and what impact that had on their psychological and mental health. I would like to see the studies of... NFTs and OpenSea and, and what impact wow. that's having. Because I feel that this cycle of up, down, up, down, like buying, selling, what's like, to me, being in that doesn't feel super great. And I wonder how other people, I mean, some people really like it and that makes them feel good and that like that they, they get some sort of a good feeling. For others, I think it can become dangerous and I think it can be a form of, of gambling and can quickly lead to some sort of addiction and can, can leave them without the money that they need, actually. I mean, it can leave, this is the, this is the thing. It can make them maybe a millionaire, a billionaire, whatever, but it can also swing the other way, right? And that's where I think these conversations are super nuanced. So I'm not, being, I'm not down on NFTs, but I'm also realistic in my perspective that people need to put it into perspective, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I would suggest is always use money you don't need. After all, it's it, it's a kind of a, of a gambling, if you think about it. because And there are not a lot of uh, pump and dump schemes taking place in there. I mean, all those clubs are dropping those new NFTs and they, they, they sold out in hours. And there is no a real artist behind these. What's the value? That's what people are wondering. Why is that valuable? For someone like me, it's again, it goes back to this key, this notion of utility. So the NFTs I'll buy will be membership cards that have to do with things I need for business. Mm -hmm. If there's a way that I can get an NFT that gives me access to a business community, and by business community, no, I do not only mean a DAO. 
the fact that 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 has become so synonymous with like they're not the same thing there are still some people that that want to do business in a different way like a DAO is not one size fits all there's not a solution for every single issue that exists in the world and i also think we need more more reporting on what's really going on behind the scenes in DAOs. this reminds me of when i started my business where everyone said you need to do this blah blah, blah. and then here we are years later looking at this reporting saying wait maybe all of this like maybe there were some problems with this. So that's why the people who've been through these cycles from start to middle to, I don't know, maybe at the end and the birth of something new, that's important to be getting those voices into the conversation. If you think about the NFT technology as a technology, the smart contracts and having a creator being able to convert his creation into something that then has a value he can sell and then he can take royalties on any shell that makes in the future as a tool is super viable. Well, let's talk about that with writers because we're, I don't think anyone's having this conversation, right? Because everyone is focusing on artists, but I think writers are artists too. And of so course. if we take something like what you've done with your platform, which blockchain are you stamping it to? Just so the audience knows. We have our own blockchain technology, CW chain. Okay. And uh, we are stumbling into Solana blockchain. What are your thoughts on Solana? I, I love Solana. I think it's something that will grow very fast. I love the, the ecosystem. They have a lot of projects, very interesting projects going on on there. And I do think that it's the way to go. I mean, if you think about the, the rates and Ethereum is un, untouchable at this time. If you just trying to mint an NFT, you'll need uh, 150, 200 bucks. Yeah, it's I mean, crazy. who does that? In Solana, <laughs> you go with you know, 0.005 cents. I love the ecosystem there. So what does that mean? So you're, if you're migrating chains, then what, what happens for someone who set up their site with you on the other chain? How does that work? Uh, CW chain is a side chain for Solana. So everything gets recorded on our blockchain. This gets distributed with our members network and every block gets synced into the Solana blockchain where we take timestamp from there. So it's like, uh, a chain over a chain. It would be cool if we could log in with our wallet. So I'm chrisruby.soul and rubymediagroup.soul. I would love to see some sort of integration if it's on Solana, if that's possible. I don't know if it is. We are in the process of uh, updating all our services. I mean, version two of all the platform is mm -hmm. coming uh, within February. So you'll see a lot of uh, new tools and very cool stuff coming in. I was reading a Facebook thread last night and someone got kicked out of a group because the, I guess one of the writers copied the sales page copy of the other writer in the group and they were posting the, and I, I replied on the thread and I said, this would be so easily solved. If you just timestamped your content to blockchain, then you wouldn't be arguing about who the original creator is of this content. And people are just like, what are you talking about? This solution that I see is so simple. is not so simple for people that are not using this. And I have to remember at one point where I probably would have said the same thing. But I do see this as the solution is there. If you're in the creative service industry, we shouldn't be posting screenshots of things at this point. You, you can use this technology like we're talking about where, where it's not a debate. You can literally see the timestamps of who the actual creator is. And at some point, I think that can help you in litigation as well. I've heard countless stories of that where people are, are sort of saying, one story I heard was over an issue, I think of a contract in the terms or at least for t the terms of service. And you can see all of that on chain if you mm -hmm. choose to timestamp that page.
Yeah, contracts are big on blockchain and it will be big because you can write them, timestamp them and sign them on blockchain. It makes perfect sense. It, it's like the blockchain in the smart contracts is created for this reason. It's created for this utility. So here's what I had a conversation this week on Twitter Spaces about this. And I think one of the reasons why SEOs, as they learn about this, or as I try and share more about this with them, one of the reasons why I think they are not thrilled about this technology is that for anyone doing black hat SEO, all of this is going to be clear in, in yeah. every change made. So if you are doing things that are considered not kosher that you shouldn't be doing, and then it's all in a public ledger on blockchain, that's going to be a problem for you. But if you're doing it, things by the is. book, you're going to want people to see that. Yeah, but the thing is, how big part of the internet are people who are doing things the right way? Because that will affect the adoption. That's a great point. That's a really great point. So part of this is not just adopting the technology, but it's adopting this new paradigm shift. It's almost this rebranding of the internet to say things are going to change. This is always what I say with Web3, like the PR companies that are now saying, we're crypto PR companies. Okay, but you're just pitching crypto trade publications, but you're still doing public relations exactly the same way. So what have you fixed that didn't work in PR? And what solution are you bringing to Web3 to fix those things? That to me is what we should all be thinking about because I put out a tweet right now and said, what is the number one thing that's broken in your industry? Everyone could answer that question. If you're going to be active in this ecosystem, don't just be a participant be a creator and pair up with someone who can then take that idea and help you and work with you on actually developing that fix on the back end. That's a great point because I see a lot of people riding the waves uh, of the buzzwords, but not really understanding the technology and using the technology to improve what they offer as a service. One thing that I've used for years is Copyscape. I love Copyscape and I would say that anyone should use it, but they can still use Copyscape and something like your tool hand in hand. I don't think that it has to be one or the other. I'm curious your sure. thoughts on that. Sure. I do agree with that. As a matter of fact, in our backend, we utilize a lot of tools. We have our own technology, but we get a feed from other tools because we don't believe that one company can create the ultimate and the ultimate solution. So if we see someone developing something very interesting, we partner with them, we connect our APIs and they use our services and they use our technology and we use theirs. And I think that's the way to go. I think one of the challenges that creators like yourself will have in this space is ed educating that end user. I know the other day in one of our Facebook groups, that's I said huge. to you, I said to you, like, what's the difference? I don't understand. What's the difference with these two things, right? And so I think to the creator of it, the difference is so obvious. But to the people that are constantly buying these tools, it's not obvious to them unless they know the intricacies. How can we simplify that process for them so that I, I guess they're starting to, to see that? And I think marketing is probably a, a component of that. One thing that I've learned that's interesting is that there's sort of this anti-marketing push a little bit in this world, despite the fact that there are all these people who are like, I'll promote your NFTs and I'm an NFT promotion <laughs> company. So there's also distrust for, for traditional marketers. I've always believed in the, the inbound marketing approach to content. And so we need to figure out like, how can we get content in front of people where it clearly shows them that this is what they do. This is what I do. And here's how it's not the same mm -hmm. thing. What you mentioned about educating people, it's our biggest issue. What we manage to do is create tools that are easy to use. But for example, we have automations that you can connect your social media accounts 
and everything gets protected and written in the blockchain. We have Block Passport. I know you're using it that you can protect and put all your content to the chain and monitor it at the same time. But the thing is, people need to see the value of why doing it. And th- th- that comes to, to the beginning of our conversation. If people don't understand why I should timestamp something I write online and what value does that bring to my personality online or to my business as a brand that takes seriously what puts out there, it's very tough balance and very tough education process to, to go through. So for someone like me, I said earlier, I use WordProof and I bought your tool. I bought both of them. Is there such a thing as like, is that a problem if you're timestamping your content on multiple chains? I, I don't see a problem doing that. It's like having two insurances for the same car. When something happens, you may take money from both sides. It's not about the timestamping alone. It's about the, the tooling and the services that accompany the timestamp. In terms of timestamping, it's not a problem if you timestamp it in one or two chains at the same time. So is there an advantage to doing it? I wouldn't say so. But I can I see actually so. that there would be actually. So for example, the other one I use, I think is on EOS, but now you're saying they're going to be on Solana. So if I want to feel like I have both of my bases covered here, I would go to you for Solana and maybe this other one. Do you think we're going to get to a place where if someone's like, I want to make sure I'm on five chains. So I'm going to use these five different companies. <laughs> is, is that where we're going to be five years from now? I think the... On your question, which chain do you believe it uh, has more uh, possibility to live in in ten years? So it it comes down to to believing in the, the project and to believing the team that's behind the project and the, who backs that. So if you think about it, is Solana a good project to follow? Is Solana something? Is a chain that will live in ten years from now? Will be around because we see a lot of chains, you know, uh, chains coming on and die. And we see that cycle going on and on. So what I would look at is, for example, how many nodes does a chain have? So we're going to be technical details here, but the number of nodes, is, it's very important because, it, first of all, it says how decentralized is the chain. Because there are a lot of chains saying that they're decentralized and they, and they have like five nodes that they run themselves. People love to say, by the way, that Solana is not decentralized. What, what do you say to that? Solana has about 2,000 nodes, and I think it's the third most decentralized change online right now after Bitcoin, Ethereum, and after that is Solana. Are the costs high for someone like you with, with these nodes that you're referring to for the infrastructure of a SaaS product like this? It is. It is. Depending on how your tech stack is built. But yeah, in order to, to maintain a, a node, you have to, to invest. There are some decentralized social platforms where your the users pay monthly to maintain their node. So mm-hmm. in your structure, do you have that? Are your users paying monthly to maintain a node? No, no. Users don't pay anything to maintain a node. We have this propagation network that everyone gets the same information the, 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 the minute that uh, this information is available. So it's not about... Uh, we create... The, the central node and there are like terminals getting the information around. Is there any upside or advantage to all of your users having their own node or paying for their own node when it comes to what we're talking about? The advantage, of course, is the decentralization of the whole thing. If, if you don't split the information and share it with the world, you are not really a chain, are you? 
you know, it, it's something that, for example, maybe Microsoft has a chain that collects all data, but if a chain is um, controlled by a single entity, that's a private chain. It's very valuable to the company, but it's not valuable for if you want to create a public record and something that people can use in court. So you have a private chain? Our chain is a private chain that connects to a public chain. And that what we do actually is we utilize the decentralization of Solana using for our network. What were you doing before launching this? That's a great question. I'm a, I'm a tech guy, first of all. I've studied computer science. I've launched my fifth startup. So I was always in the tech and to, into the software. I'm a software engineer in trade. I don't write code at this moment. I have like two or three years to touch a keyboard for that, to write code. But yeah, I'm into SaaS companies and products. So why did you, and sorry, I know we'll get back to, to interviewing me. Is there a quarter <laughs> No <me>? worries. <laughs> um, but why, so why did you choose to create this? What problem were you trying to solve? Sure. Uh, before that, I, I, I owned a big music social network, at least in my country. And the, the, the question I was getting all the time was, why should I share my music? What if someone steals my music? And what if someone takes my lyrics and put them in the song? And why? And then I got into, the, into thinking, how, how can I solve that? How can I provide proof of ownership for someone to share and to feel you know, confident to share something with the world? Because the internet is all about sharing and it's all about engaging with your potential audience. And you won't be able to do that as a creator if you don't feel confident. Is that a cut? So he's, he's actually um, a chihuahua named Ezra. Sorry, he's he's sitting oh. on my... Here he is. This is Ezra. Hey. <laughs> I love how you said, I love how you said, is that a cat? <laughs> so I, I saw the back of the of the head. I was thinking about a solution and then the blockchain came in and it was like, okay, blockchain should work for that. Interesting. One of the things that at least for those of us going back to SaaS for a second, for those of us who are buying all these copy copywriting, these AI tools, we have conversations a lot in the, the Facebook groups about the actual cost of dinging on the API on the back end if you're using GPT-3 or any of these other tools. And um, I actually wrote extensively about it on, on AI and marketing. We can share that with the audience here. So that's why I was sort of saying, I wonder what the back end that infrastructure is like for people in this, because I don't think people have a clear picture. I know if it's running on Ethereum, we understand what that means. But I'm actually mm -hmm. curious, what about Polygon? Why has no one done like, so we talked about EOS and Solana, but what is Polygon an option for timestamping? Is any, are you, are you thinking about that or no? Polygon is something I, I do follow quite a bit. I, I think it has a lot of ups and downs as a chain. Mm. And when we were talking about which chain we will engage and, uh, you know, build our technology for, Solana looked uh, like the best option. And th the cost is a major factor here because we're at the ch on the chain, like, you know, <laughs> many, many, many times a day. If that cost is too high, that will go to the customer as well because we have to charge more. For example, we have a, a service that costs $30 a year. I mean... Uh, our goal there is to to take that to the masses and for everyone to be able to use that technology. So in order to do that, we have to keep our costs low. And so one reason we we went with Solana is the costs. But Polygon is another good solution, of course. 
One of the things I want to let the audience know is that even if you're anti-Solana for whatever reason, or you think it's not truly decentralized, you should still secure your domain name and you can do that on Bonfita. They have an auction system. Most recently, I'm not sure if they're still doing the auction system. They may have just changed that. But the point is secure your brand name, your corporate entity name. Even if you're not going to use it, it's better to have it because people are squatting on these names. And as a content creator, it's important when we're talking about ownership and IP, okay. it's very easy to, to take someone else's right now. Um, it, that's the other challenge here. So you can, it's on chain, so people can do it and they can see the thread, but it's a little bit murky if we look at ICANN or some of the other ways that they could traditionally enforce mm -hmm. arbitration in this area. We don't know what the answer is yet when it comes to this. We don't know the answer to a lot of things in the Web3 area because I think it's a, it's quite early days and things will change as we go. But again, the immutality of the chain is something that won't change. So uh, immutability, sorry, I think that's the correct word, immutability of the chain. That's something we need to take very seriously in account on everything we build and on everything we do with that technology because it's a public record. It's not changeable. Maybe, depending on the chain, the rules will bend because we know Bitcoin and uh, the the Bitcoin blockchain has its rule uh, its rules out there and they're there there forever. But we see, for example, Ethereum changing the rules as we go, another coming in the following months, and we don't know how that is going to form in a few years down the road. In closing, one of the things I want to say, just to your point of it being a public record, is to really think about what that means. So, for example, most people don't really even understand how to look through public records or how to search through important documents. It's something that journalists know how to do because you have to do it. But on the one hand, and this is where the total hypocrisy comes in in this space. On the one hand, you're saying you're fighting for privacy. Big tech gives me no privacy. I want something else. But on the other the solution to that is to say, everything I do is on public record so you can see it. And there's there's nuance in that conversation. It's not all good or all bad. People need to actually have informed consent around how much of my life do I want on this public record that I can't delete. And I'm going back to this example of what I said about women. This can be very dangerous if we even like the Gabby Petito case. We look at all of that on the public record. There are things that can happen that if you are in a, a bad situation or a potentially very dangerous situation, social media can either help that case or it can hurt that case from uh, the legal perspective. And my concern here is that people are not necessarily seeing that. I would love to see some more conversation around this, especially as we are encouraging female creators to get into this space. I just want to make sure that we're encouraging them to do it safely. That's a great point. So let, let me close this conversation with three quick questions. What's your favorite book these days? I like a book that's called Win Without Pitching, which uh, encourages people to get away from the formal RFP process and to get paid for their ideas. And I think that's very important for writers and creatives to stop giving away ideas on spec and to start charging for paid discovery. Mm -hmm. Favorite influencer that you follow? I don't love the word influencer. I just wrote about this yesterday. I wrote the difference <laughs> of someone who influences versus uh, amplifies. 
Amplifier. Yeah, that, yeah, I think there's a difference of it. I should amplifier. Yeah, that, that's a good word. Yeah, yeah I don't like influencer as well. I had a conversation the other day about the difference between content creator and influencer. Yeah, and, I, uh, it's quite distinct. I, well, I also think it's become some, somewhat of a negative word. The other issue, at least with building a community with what you're doing, is that for someone like me, I would want to be in a community with other right, other SEOs, other writers, other PRs. But that's not necessarily the same as someone who's live streaming every day. And so there's these sub communities inside of this larger community and their IP is going to be much more directed towards video and photos than mine, which is going to be directed towards the written word. So my problems, my use case is not the same as theirs. And I think that's probably a challenge in this new world when it comes to timestamping and building out a community and figuring out how do we do that in a way where we're talking to people and it's one community. Let's imagine this scenario. I have a, this huge mic that when you talk to it, everyone in the world listens. What are you saying? <sighs> one of the things I spent a lot of time thinking about is to pretend that you are retiring and it's your retirement party and it's your last day in your industry. What would you tell people about your industry? What have you learned? What do you want new people to know? What can other people benefit from of your 15 years experience before you start the next chapter of your life? And I think as a content creator, if you can approach content like it is your last day in this industry, your voice and what you're putting out to the world will be coming from a very different place. And that will resonate with people and people will feel that as opposed to when you're writing content, like you need to hit your numbers this month and your life depends on it. That content is coming from the opposite place and people can feel that. So I would say, what do you want people to know? For example, if I was exiting PR, what are the things that I would tell people today? And how is the industry going to change? And what advice can I leave people with? Almost as if you're giving a speech at a graduation. I think that usually serves people well. Wow. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here. We had a, a great conversation. I'm sure everyone will like and everyone will get some golden nuggets of what you have said here today. Thank you so much for having me. And I will just say, if you want to keep in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at SparklingRuby. And my website is rubymediagroup.com and chrisruby.com. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.